1: The Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, some Patriots news to talk about. We were were going to open with the Super Bowl. We'll get to the Super Bowl a little bit later in the show. Plenty of Patriots news and notes. We have not talked since the weekend when Mick Lombardi and Carmen Brasillo, Patriots offensive assistants, went with Josh McDaniels to the Las Vegas Raiders. So we're going to get to that, but the news of the day here on Tuesday, the Patriots tweeting out a notice here today that they have promoted college scouting director, Matt grow to director of player personnel. So Matt grow will now be the successor to Dave Ziegler, who was the successor to Nick Casario. And when you peel back the curtain here of this decision to promote grow and not go with the guy with a little bit more of a resume, maybe an Elliot Wolf. I think that this relates to the Casario and Ziegler promotions as well, and that Matt Groh is one of theirs, right? He is somebody that, uh, to use a Bain quote, uh, he grew up in the Patriot way, right? He was born in it. He did not adapt it or uh, adopt it like Elliot Wolf did. He was crafted by it starting in 2011 with the Patriots. As I mentioned, served last year as the college scouting director. His father, Al Gro, is a longtime Belichick Parcells coaching tree assistant. So, this is not a major surprise to me in that this is pretty much status quo for the Patriots. This is how they've always sort of done it, promoting from within and promoting a guy that's gone through the ranks and paid his dues and worked his way up to the top. Now the question is, is I think for a lot of Patriots fans, who the heck is Mac Rowe, right? And why, right. Do we, why do we care about Mac Rowe? And secondly, what this means for the team moving forward?
0: Well, the other thing, interesting thing about it to me is that when they promoted Ziegler last year, right? When Casario had left, and Casario had been the, the director of player personnel since 2008, So they right. hadn't had to make a move like this in a while. Ziegler's background was pretty much exclusively pro personnel, working in pro personnel. So that's players who are already on the roster, uh, you know, working with contracts, scouting other teams, things like that. Now you bring in Matt Grow, whose background is the opposite, it's almost exclusively college scouting. Yeah. So Not to say last year's draft wasn't good. It was, but I don't, I mean, did they do anything? There wasn't really a fireworks move. Like as much as we are all like, oh my God, they took Mac Jones. That was kind of the expected pick. They moved up to get a player who had fallen, which is pretty textbook. And they kind of went chalk from there. Whereas in free agency, right? Uncharacteristically aggressive. So you had the guy with the pro personnel background comes in and you have this massive free agency period. Now you're bringing in a guy with the draft background. So that tells me maybe they have a little bit bigger plans or more extreme plans for the draft this year.
1: It's interesting because Groh, I I think, was somebody that has moved up quickly in terms of title here. You know, for a long time, he was bouncing around the Patriots scouting department, working his way up the ladder. And then all of a sudden, he gets a title last year and then obviously an even bigger title this year. You mentioned them going after the draft a little bit differently. I, I do think you look at that draft class last year everybody that has been involved in that draft class last year has gotten a pat on the back from somebody, whether it's the Patriots promoting a guy like grow after a strong draft class or Ziegler going ahead and getting a general manager job with the Raiders. But I think the one thing that I look at too with this is that grow, I don't think is going to be a, a one and done de facto general manager here for the Pats. And you mentioned Nick Casario Held that title for over a decade, right? Two thousand eight to twenty nineteen. Then, in back to back off seasons, essentially, the Patriots lose Ziegler and they lose Casario uh, to other teams. And if they had promoted a guy like an Elliot Wolf, who is now co- uh, technically a scouting consultant for the Patriots, I think that a guy like Elliot Wolf does a good job uh, as a scouting consultant with the Patriots he probably is in line to get the general manager title someplace else as well, maybe even as soon as next offseason. He actually interviewed for a few general manager positions this year. So if he does it again, then you know that he's going to be somebody that a lot of teams are going to be after next year. So I look at this with Grow and say, could the Patriots be hoping – that he's going to be around for a while and they won't have to keep recycling director of player personnels or uh, de facto general managers like they have had to do over the last couple of years with Casario and then Ziegler uh, leaving the nest. So macro, like I said, football family bloodlines, right. Going right. all the way back to Al his brother, Mike grow is the Eagles wide receivers coach. I thought, is he coach.
0: Eagles or giants. Uh, Giants, excuse me, I yes. Think, right, right. I th- he right. just he just moved over there.
1: Yes, he was with the Colts, and now he's with the Giants. I knew yep. it was an NFC's team, but got the wrong one. Uh, Giants. Well, he
0: was the Eagles' OC at one point.
1: Yes. Uh, so you're under, not totally
0: uh, wrong there, yeah.
1: Yeah, under Doug Peterson, he was yep. the Eagles' OC after Frank Reich left for the Indianapolis job. Uh, they gave the OC title to grow. So this is... NFL bloodlines this these are blue blood guys so I think in one respect that you can be happy about Alex this is not a math nerd right this is not an analytics right. guy right. this is not a new age hire this is not a, you know Billy Bean or, or Paul D. Podesta or whatever this is a blue blood type of old school scouting coaching family that goes back generations with the grows so to me, there's a little bit of a surprise that it wasn't Elliot Wolf, but ultimately, I think that this is pretty par for the course for the Patriots. When you actually look into Macros' background, look at how he's gotten here, and look at what we've seen in the past from his family, tying to Belichick as well. Algro was an assistant under Bel, or with Bill, and Bill Parcells under Bill Parcells with right. the Giants, uh, with the Patriots in the in the '90s. I mean, this is goes all
0: the way back with those two. Well, when he worked for Bill, too, in Cleveland. So Correct. he he did, he did directly work for Bill. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's pretty textbook. It's pretty textbook. Football family has the ties to both Bill and Parcells. Yeah.
1: So I think the other question I wanted, and then we're going to get into some of these coaching uh, exodus here to the Raiders. The other question I wanted to present here is, Do you really feel free agency aside, because we've never seen the Patriots spend like that. We've never seen the Patriots go after it like that. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. Everybody kind of talks about last year's draft class, like the Patriots completely changed their philosophy. In the draft. And I don't necessarily see it that way. Like they drafted two guys from Alabama with their top two ranks. Right. And and then they drafted two more guys from Oklahoma. I guess maybe you could make the argument that they went more with power programs. Right. You know, power five type programs, blue blood type programs. But at the same time, I don't know if the 18 draft, the 19 draft, you're looking at two top Picks from Georgia in 18, 19, a Pac-12 pick, Michigan with uh, with Chase Winovich, Alabama with Damian Harris. I, the way that they've handled the draft last year I don't really think is that much different than what they've always done. They just happened to hit on the picks, at least in the in the
0: short term so far. I think the one thing that's different is they went more chalk, right? Mac Jones was the consensus pick at fifteen. Like everybody yeah. said, this is the pick that makes the most sense. They traditionally didn't do that. You want to go back to twenty twenty? We're all talking about um, who was the safety from Alabama that year. Why am I blanking on this? Safety from Alabama in twenty twenty. Keep, um, keep talking, and we'll we'll figure it out. Xavier McKinney. We're all oh, talking right, about right. Xavier McKinney is going to be on the board. They're picking whatever it was twenty something if. And that would have been the chalk pick. Instead, they moved down. They take Kyle Duggar. Ultimately, worked out right. But that had kind of been what they did this time. All right, Mac is the consensus. Boom, Mac. Christian Barmore was falling, and he was another guy that was tabbed as a fit. Falling, boom, get him. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't beat around the bush as much. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think they just kind of went for it, um, and I think that's a good approach. This year, it's a little different. I don't know that the draft. See, the thing is, I think the draft the weight was structured last year it benefited them to do that. It made a lot more sense to do that last year. I don't know that makes as much sense this year. Again, just the layout of it. And we'll talk about this a lot in the yeah. coming weeks where the the top tier of this class is probably 16, 17 players. And they're right. sitting there at 21. So they're going to need a couple of teams to significantly reach. If not, you know, how different is the board of 21 versus 31, 35, 41 that's traditionally something they weigh. And some years it makes sense to weigh it, some years it doesn't. It felt like they did it every year. This is a year it feels like that's where you weigh that.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this a ton, and we continue to talk about it, and and we're going to put it into practice once we start doing mock drafts and things like that and really show you guys really the position that you're wondering about is as bad as some scouts and, and certain people. And I think you and I feel at times at this quarterback class is, you just don't know how many teams are going to actually reach on a quarterback, right? right? Sam Howell, whoever it ends up being going higher. Should than not be many. Sam Howell. Yeah. i going to say
0: that should be Sam Howell. I
1: don't disagree with you. I just am saying that that is always the valuable commodity. So the, if you're the Patriots sitting there at 21, you do hope that one of these teams gets foolish and takes a quarterback. I guess the draft last year was a little bit more chalk. I I think all of us expected if a quarterback was there at 15, given the situation at quarterback, it was very, very difficult for the Patriots to even think about passing on a QB. And it also just so happens that Matt Jones, who is probably the best stylistic fit out of the top quarterbacks, was the one that was on the board. So I can see what you're saying about it being more chalk, maybe a little bit more, what's the word, just standard right we're, we're gonna go with the with the brand names we're gonna go with the blue right. chippers we're gonna go with the big time college prospects versus a Kyle Duggar or, or versus somebody like that but Isaiah Wynn, Sony Michelle, Nikhil Harry as much as he had his issues with the Patriots those guys were blue chip big time prospects as well. Was Nikhil,
0: Nikhil was like the fourth or fifth receiver on the board
1: though. He was a consensus top 50, top 60 player. Yeah, I but think
0: remember, he's the was second obvious, receiver off the board.
1: There was obvious conversations about where they picked him relative to the rest of the receivers. Right. I would agree with that. But I don't think anybody thought that there was a big talent gap at the time between some of those guys. And I, I, I don't think it was a major surprise at the time. At the Patriots took Nikhil Harry where they took him, maybe over A.J. Brown. That that might have been the one yeah. that was a little bit of a head scratcher. But the days, uh, I, like I see in the chat about Jordan Richards, when's the last time the Patriots took a Jordan Richards, right? Like, when's the last time they've really 2019, gone? 2019, Jawan Williams. I don't think that Jawan Williams is in Jordan Richards's category. Like, Jordan Richards was a guy that most people had pegged as a third round, a
0: day three pick. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay. Um. And look, even some like Deron Harmon was was supposed to be undrafted, so some of those work out. But yeah, you're right. They they have done less of that. I would agree.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think the mantra that Belichick always takes a guy that's supposed to go in the sixth round and the second round. I I don't think they've really done that in years. I think they've learned in a lot of ways from some of those picks, Jordan Richards. Uh, I know Cyrus Jones was supposed to be a much better player than he turned out to be, but maybe even a guy like Cy Jones, who was drafted all,
0: big in part to return to
1: picks, right? That, yeah. Players. That was
0: about where Cyrus Jones was supposed to go. Somebody said Duke Dawson in the chat. I think he might be one. I'm yeah. going back. Jordan Richards is 2015. So, right. The next year is Cyrus Jones. Then they have that draft where they don't have any picks in the top 100, basically. Right. And then they took Duke Dawson the next year and then you get into the Nikhil Harry draft. So maybe Duke Dawson. I don't really remember what his draft stock was. I can find it. Like a top
1: 100, top 150 player and a Florida guy. Right. So still a big time program player. I think that that one was a little bit more of a surprise, but it certainly wasn't Jordan Richards, right? I I don't think we've actually seen them do that in quite some time. Will be interesting to see what this means, though, for their draft process. Whenever you promote a guy that has a really heavy background in college scouting and in the draft, you do think that that will put a heavy emphasis on his plate of what exactly they are doing with the draft. Maybe that's as simple as it is. Maybe they feel good uh, about their ability with Elliot Wolf or some of the other guys there in the personnel department to work on pro personnel scouting, right. And, and want to give some more emphasis to the college scouting to a guy like grow and who behind the scenes, there's a very good chance that grow is a guy that could have been somebody that was a little bit more of a rock star than what we knew, right. In, in terms of the draft right. last year or the draft in recent years. So there we go. That is yeah, way, just want, just
0: to um you, finish you want to go that all way back
1: to Roz I Dowling and Ron Brace and Darius, but like these picks are 15 years ago, guys. Like
0: yeah, the, the scouting process was completely different for the yeah. record. Duke Dawson, according to NFL draft database.com, was the 78th player right uh, on the board that year. The Patriots took him 56th, so maybe around yeah. early, but that's not that's not totally off. Uh unfortunately it ends in 2016. So we can't go back to 2015 and see where uh, Jordan Richards was on the consensus big board, but
1: yeah, no, that was in a little
0: bit of a reach, but not spectacular, maybe I, half a round around. I, I will
1: never forget Mel Kuyper's reaction and the uh, panel's reaction when the Patriots took Jordan Richards. Right. I mean, that was the guy that they
0: had all put in like the sixth or seventh round. Right. And, well, there was this so weird. In the second. There was this stretch. I remember somebody made note of this where, because they have all the highlight packages for all the players, right? Like the, the yeah. ESPN does. And the whole thing was every year, who's the first player taken that ESPN didn't prepare for that doesn't have a a highlight package? And the Patriots made that pick for like four or five years in a row. It was some weird, it, which was like, of course, of course right. they did. But yeah, there's been less of that lately.
1: Okay. All right. Let's give our shout out to our friends at LinkedIn. You can use that URL right there, linkedin.com slash beat to post, post your first job. For free, it's a new year, but it's feeling harder than ever to find and hire the qualified people you need, especially for small businesses. That's where LinkedIn Jobs comes in. They make it easier to find the people you want to talk faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of the only the most qualified, then use the simple tools on LinkedIn jobs to qu- quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Do you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers? visit LinkedIn, post your job for free at linkedin.com beat. That's linkedin.com slash beat to post your job for free. Let's talk about the coaching staff. A lot of uh, procedural things going on over in one Patriot place. The last couple of days, Alex, uh, we were not on the air during the weekend when Mick Lombardi and Carmen Brasillo, the announcement at least came out that they are going to the Las Vegas Raiders. Carmen Brasillo making a lateral move to become the offensive line coach of the Raiders. That's a pretty big one to me Offensive line coach is an underrated spot on the staff, right? One of the most important positions, I would say, on the coaching staff, especially for out-of-the-position coaches. So, Karim Brasillo goes to the Raiders, the O-line coach. Mick Lombardi gets the promotion. He is going to be the offensive coordinator of the Raiders. Obviously, Josh McDaniels is the head coach. McDaniels is going to run the offense. He's going to call the plays. But Mick Lombardi is going to technically have the offensive coordinator title. So, as the dust settles, Alex, the Patriots need a – New offensive coordinator, which they may or may not actually have by title. a Assistant quarterbacks coach, Bo agree he was the first one to join this exodus to the Raiders. New offensive line coach, new wide receivers coach. And if Mike Reese is reporting that Ivan Fears might potentially retire as well as a Patriots running backs coach. So that's five new coaches on the offensive side of the ball, including the head coach of the offense and Josh McDaniels. we're going to get to who could replace them and all those kinds of things. But how how much, how worried are you about all this movement? I mean, this is pretty significant.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think to phrase it another way, you mentioned that it's five coaches. I know people think that it's a big staff, but of, you know, last year when the Patriots, they announced their coaching staff before the spring every year. They had nine primary offensive coaches, nine. Five of the, or four are gone. And then we'll see with fears that that's over half the staff. If fears leaves, that's over half the offensive staff that you have to replace. That's a big deal. And look, if Tom Brady's still here or a veteran quarterback, obviously, it's another conversation. But clearly that coaching staff worked not just for Mac last year, but you look at what they did. They took an offense that, if not rookies, a lot of guys who were new in the program, you had all the free agents they signed, right? Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, guys like that. They turned them into the sixth highest scoring offense in football. Yeah. So this was clearly a group, like a lot of that's coaching. Obviously they had a lot of talent, but that's coaching this was a group that worked and you got to worry about the development of the offense as a whole. And I think specifically Mac Jones, now that essentially they have to sort of reset things, they have to kind of go back to square one. So yeah, this is, this is a big deal. And I said it when we talked about McDaniels and heart leaving, right. To me, the offense coordinator that that is who it is. I don't think they're going to change the overall concept of the offense, whether it's uh, Nick Cayley. Whether it's Joe Judge, even if they bring back Bill O'Brien, I don't think there's a massive change coming to the way they structure their offense. The bigger issue for me right now is go get a, a quarterbacks coach, a dedicated quarterbacks coach who knows what he's doing, not Adam Gase, somebody who can work with Mac Jones to continue that development. I think in terms of the coaching staff right now, that is the most important next move they can make.
1: I would agree with you because I think there are some internal candidates that can replace some of the guys that have departed to the Raiders in other spots. You look at wide receivers. Obviously, Troy Brown is the easy choice, I think, there to become the actual wide receivers coach. Currently, he's wide receivers slash returners. We've also seen him work with running backs in the past, but he's going to be a wide receivers coach, as he should be. And I look at it and say you can definitely replace a guy like Mick Lombardi with Troy Brown. And I, I honestly think that when the this kind of came to fruition, that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, I am sure, had a conversation. And Bill said, here are the three or four coaches I feel really strongly about keeping. Like I, I don't want you to take these guys. I don't think that this took anybody in Foxborough by surprise. I don't think that this was Josh McDaniels sticking it to Bill Belichick on the way out and stealing the assistance under, you know, from under his, uh, his carpet. Right. I think that they knew who was leaving. I think they knew who they were going to promote to replace. And similarly, how we've seen with Matt Groh in the front office, Dave Ziegler gets the job at general manager with the Raiders. The Patriots don't, Bring in an outside hire to be their director of player personnel. They just promote from within. So guys like Troy Brown, I think everybody should know the name Billy Yates, who's a uh, the assistant offensive line coach under Carmen Bracello. Dante Scarnecchia trained, has been a player in Dante Scarnecchia's system, and a coach with Dante Scarnecchia. So somebody that again that has been through it, has been through the program, understands what the Patriots are asking them to do. So Yates offensive line. Troy Brown, wide receivers, whether his role is more taking on an offensive coordinator responsibility or not, Joe Judge also has experience coaching receivers, maybe not the best track record there in 2019, but certainly has some experience doing it in the Patriots system, so maybe he helps out a little bit, but you try to see all those other positions and all the other possibilities, you feel good about it, but like you said, the two most important parts of that staff arguably are quarterbacks coach and play caller and we still don't really know where they're headed in that direction how do you feel though about uh, wide receivers Troy Brown being the next guy up there it seems and obviously a guy like Billy Yates being the offensive line coach
0: I I mean they're both former players yeah I don't think Yates career was very long but they're, they're both former players I think there's something to be said for that I think those you know the Patriots haven't always had former players as coaches, but I think there's a benefit to that, uh, especially when you have a younger team, which the Patriots kind of have. You've have younger coaches, and I think that that kind of works out. So yeah, I'm in. Again, I actually think for the most part they'll be all right because uh, Vinny Sunseri coached running backs last year, so right. he's picking up for Ivan Fears. Like you mentioned, Troy Brown was in the building last year. Billy Yates was in the building last year. I think they're relatively okay with those. the The, the bigger issue for me is the quarterbacks coach. That to me is is the one that they that that's the one that scares me.
1: Yeah, I, look, I I am scared about the offensive play caller slash quarterbacks coach. I think in the past, the most successful teams with it have had those two guys essentially be the same person, right? You, you have the offensive play caller is more or less the guy that's working the most closely with the quarterback, right. week in and yeah. week out. Look, the grass is not always greener, right? We we talked about this. I I think a lot of people wanted to see Josh McDaniels gone. I think a lot of people wanted to see some new perspective some fresh ideas on the offense i still think that's possible today i did write about joe judge and and what he did with the giants offense and uh, what they were able to do that was successful with daniel jones even though they weren't a good offense overall there are some different wrinkles from that Giants scheme there are some different things that i did like like rpos some of their two tight end sets and packages but at the end of the day That is ultimately going to be the biggest question mark heading into the season is who is going to be calling plays on offense. Who's going to be coaching up Mac. I I don't know where we go with that right now. I think it would have been very easy for us to sell to everybody. If Bill O'Brien was coming back, that he was going to be the guy, right? But at this point in time, There's still so much uncertainty. I I would also mention, though, that we are recording this show on February 15th. The Patriots don't play a meaningful game for seven months. So there's still plenty of time to sort this out. So you don't get into minicamp and OTAs and all those types of things for a while here. And I I would say that you just be a little bit patient, right? This could work itself out and will work itself out eventually. And you got to be a little bit patient and see what they end up doing.
0: Yeah. The one thing I push back on the seventh month thing and look, they don't need to necessarily hire the guy today, but you don't want, I don't think you still want to be sorting this out during OTAs in the spring. Right. I think you have to get this done realistically by the, by the draft, maybe for agency, because that may impact free agent decisions. If they don't know who their position coach is going to be. And look, you're not probably signing a quarterback in for agency outside of maybe Brian Hoyer, but. If it's an offensive lineman, if it's a wide receiver, they may want to know who their position coach is going to be. That may factor in. So again, I I don't think it has to be done today, but I think the they don't play a meaningful game for seven month thing. So seven months thing is kind of understating the urgency at the same time.
1: Oh, I think it's an urgent situation. I just think that yeah. A lot of people right now are jumping off the bridge because of the moves that happened over the weekend with the Raiders and saying, look at the Patriots staff. How are you not freaking out about this? I'm not freaking out about it because we still haven't seen Bill Belichick's move yet, right? I mean, Joe Judge is one of them, but I think that there's still multiple moves still here to come. They're going to rework the staff. They're going to figure things out. There's also a very good chance that Bill Belichick himself takes a more hands-on approach with the offense and and maybe coaches the offense and Mac Jones himself in a lot of ways. That's what Mike Lombardi threw out there after all these moves happened, that Belichick might actually just be his own offensive coordinator, right? right? and. and, and- I don't think that that's a terrible strategy. I don't think that that's something that I'm going to scoff at, that if Bill wants to coach the offense, he's Bill Belichick. I'm sure he could coach offense if he wants to coach offense. So let's see. Let's see what they do first before we all start uh, jumping off the Tobin and, and freaking out that they don't have anybody to to replace Josh McDaniels or the quarterback's coach or what have you. My point is, is that Bill Belichick is one of those people that has always got a plan, right? He's always got a plan. And I don't think anything truly takes Bill Belichick completely by surprise. I don't think that Josh McDaniels leaving to the Raiders. I don't think this coaches that Josh McDaniels took with him to the Raiders took Bill Belichick by surprise. I, I think he knew what right. was coming he's probably been planning for it he's probably been prepared for it now let's go ahead and see what his moves are if his moves are to move Matt Patricia over to offense and have Joe Judge be the de facto OC then we can talk about how terrible of a situation it is for Mac Jones but we still got some time I think until we figure out if that's exactly what is going on and we talked about it last week, too, Alex, like you don't know what these guys are until you let them coach. Right.
0: You don't know. Right. Everybody has Josh- to be a coach for the first time once.
1: Right. You don't know who Josh McDaniels was until he became the the, uh, the play caller and the offensive coordinator for the Patriots in 2005 after Charlie Weiss left. A lot of people after Charlie Weiss left were sitting there saying that the Patriots offense was in trouble. Right. They lose Charlie Weiss. They lose lose Romeo Cornell in the same offseason uh, to head coaching jobs. And and look what happened. And they didn't really miss a beat. So I, I, well, I think
0: at the same time, they didn't win a Super Bowl for 10 years that kicked off their longest title drought under Belichick.
1: I, I, sure. But I don't think that that was the biggest reason why. I mean, they they made it to an AFC title game. They made it to a That's Super fair. Bowl.
0: Twice. That's fair.
1: So I, I don't know if it was really you know, sometimes luck doesn't necessarily go your way in the big game as the bangles can attest to. Right. So it's right. I want to take a second to shout out our sponsors at betonline.ag football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds totals player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code. CLNS 50 to get started and it's not just basketball bet online is your source for hockey boxing and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games bet online is your number one online wagering destination bet online the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games bet online where the game starts. Let's talk about some outside candidates, though. I think a lot of people, uh, a name that I texted to you the other day when I saw that Bill Belichick spent the weekend with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, Adam Gase, these are not names that offer much confidence, much excitement whatsoever for the Patriots. But Urban is a guy that clearly has a good relationship with Belichick off the field. Uh, Belichick has talked about consulting with Meyer, uh, using some of his stuff, all those types of things. I I would venture to say that this is probably a little bit more of a long shot than anything else, especially with the way that Urban Meyer ended in Jacksonville. I would think that he would want to go back to college, right? He talked about how different it was from college to the NFL, and he seems more comfortable in college. I would put... Urban Meyer at a very low percentage guys that I would put at a higher percentage, maybe a little bit lesser known, obviously than urban Meyer, like a uh, Jerry Schleplinski, uh, like a Chad O'Shea maybe coming back, but O'Shea is currently the passing game coordinator for the Browns. So he would have to have a promotion and title, probably be the offensive coordinator uh, to lure him out of Cleveland. Zach is Robinson, Cleveland you know, a good
0: situation right now? No, it's is, not a good situation. So I, he make I, a lateral move to get out of Cleveland is the question. He might, because that thing, you know, it's, it's going to be really interesting there this year, what's going on with Baker. I If I have an out, if I have a lateral out and I'm Chad yeah. O'Shea, I might take it. I might.
1: Yeah. From what I've heard about Chad O'Shea and Bill Belichick and the separation there was not exactly the easiest departure when he went to Miami with Brian Flores. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of love lost between those two over some things in the way that it ended. But maybe – Bygones be bygones and, and you kind of let put that aside when you need uh, to fill your staff like the Patriots do Idea Zach Robinson's a great one from the Rams but I assume with Kevin O'Connell taking the Vikings job that Robinson's in line for a promotion out in LA now to maybe even offensive coordinator or pass game coordinator or something like that so you're gonna have to incentivize him to come here it's not a whole lot of pickings. You know, that, that's, I think the, the little bit of concern if Bill O'Brien's not coming here at nobody wants Gase. I, I I get that. I, I, I'm not as sour on Gase as everybody else. I'm not going to lie. I, the main reason is is because at least Adam Gase is somebody that has coached quarterbacks and called plays at the NFL level. Yeah. His resume and his reputation recently is not great in Miami and New York, but he's at least
0: somebody who is, Freaking done it right. Okay, I mean, he hasn't none done of it me, well. I, he's done it. Evan, though. I threw a football in my backyard growing up. I've thrown a football. Can I played quarterback problem. in the NFL. Hey, he he didn't it's do problem. it well. He didn't do it well. He, he Every single stop was and a joke. Nobody's
1: nobody's sitting here and saying that they should give the keys to Adam Gase to completely restructure the offense and start from scratch and build his own playbook in New England. You're you're bringing in somebody to run your fundamentals and your scheme. Right. So I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm looking for somebody with some experience. I'm looking for somebody with a resume. I'm looking for somebody that has called plays on the offensive side of the ball, that has coached quarterbacks on the offensive side of the football. And they don't currently have that on the staff. I think they are really high on Nick Cayley. I think that he's a guy that could potentially call plays for yeah. the Patriots this season. I just, I don't know. Like Joe Judge is is he the answer like you're you're really that much more confident in a guy like Joe Judge than a guy like Adam Gase or a guy like even I'll even put Urban's co- name back in the conversation like you're that much more confident in that approach than somebody like
0: Adam Gase coming in I I just don't know how you could be I, I Adam Gase at the bottom of my list Urban Meyer's probably second to last that's that's I just I saw what he did with Darnold I saw what he did with Tannehill. I think Darnold is though. He's not that bad. He's not that bad.
1: I think he is, Alex. He got – he got – I'm blanking on his name, of course, now. Uh, The guy that got hired by the Bills uh, as their quarterback's coach, he got Joe Brady fired. Joe Brady is one of the best young minds in football, and he got him fired. After a disastrous year in Carolina, he's out, right? I I, I just – all I am asking – for is somebody with some experience. I would also mention that being a head coach and being a coordinator are two totally different jobs. Like you're not talking about Adam Gase being Bill Belichick's successor as the Patriots head coach. You're talking about Adam Gase coming here to bring some experience to the offensive side of the football, because right now you have a special teams coordinator running your offense. It, It just, I don't think that it's as big of a responsibility as uh, in terms of aesthetic and all that kind of thing as that as people are making it out to be. Like he's not the head coach of the team.
0: He's I just see- coming here to help on offense. But he also wasn't good as a coordinator. He was the offense coordinator for the Bears in 2015. That's the last time he was a, a coordinator, not a coach, and they were bottom 10 in the league. They were bottom 10 in the league in scoring and he got a head coaching job off of that. He's like Arians. He used to shower next to Peyton Manning, so teams have value. Teams value him. That's it. That's it. Well, like, that's give me the a bottom of the list.
1: Give me a better solution, as somebody, because we know their parameters. We know right. that they're not going to hire outside the circle of trust. We know that they're going to keep the system the same, and they're not going to pull. I know a lot of people would love to see them go after Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy has grown up and lived in the West Coast verbiage. It's not easy to make an adjustment there. Right. To go from West Coast calling plays, calling routes to calling concepts with the Patriots. It's a completely different way of talking the game. It's a completely different language of the game. It's not easy. So to go from West Coast, yeah, Eric B. has got uh, maybe he's the most creative guy out there. Right. Maybe he's the best guy with the biggest resume and all those kinds of things. But to bring in somebody like that you're 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 someone's changing everything about what they know right somebody's playing left-handed I just I don't know where else they go from here unless they are super confident in guys like Nick Caley and Troy Brown taking on more responsibilities but neither one of those guys have coach quarterbacks as we've talked about so who's going to be the quarterback's coach who's going to be the offensive play caller if it's not bringing in another outside hire I, I I just don't know who else you go with. Like, I, I don't know where
0: else you go with this uh, other than those options that we've already laid out. I'm not saying in a great spot. They're in a great spot. I'm not. I just think at this point, outside of Bill O'Brien or Chad O'Shea, I think the internal options are better. I just They were there last year and whatever they did last year worked. So I think they've at least earned the benefit of the doubt of seeing if they can pick up where they went left off last year The one other external name I'll bring up. And this isn't necessarily as a play caller, not as a quarterback's coach, but somebody you bring in to kind of, again, help somebody who knows the verbiage, who knows the language to help the transition. And that's Kevin Falk. Kevin Falk got let go at LSU when they brought in Brian Kelly, I believe. And I I mean, it doesn't look like he's picked up a new gig. He was the director of player development at LSU. That's a very prestigious job in college football. Then he moved to being running backs coach. That is, he is somebody I would call. He is somebody I would call in whatever it is, running backs coach, you know, wide receivers, coach kick returners coach. That's kind of how they wedged Troy Brown on the staff. At one point, I would call Kevin Falk outside of that. Look, Josh McCown's an interesting name. I see that in the chat. He's a guy I wouldn't hate having them call. I don't know. I'd make him the OC, but clearly Houston loves him, And we know that there's a connection there between Houston and the Patriots. So maybe Josh McCown as quarterback's coach. I could be talked into that. That's an interesting idea. But I think you stay with the internal guys. And you so see how much of what was done last year can be replicated. And if it doesn't work, look, you're taking a massive risk with Mac Jones development, but you're in a bad spot. This is the reality of it. I think you have to see if you can carry over what you did let from last year. And then if it doesn't work, then you blow it all up next year. And we can start talking about ludicrous external hires.
1: So if they're going to keep it status quo for the most part, and they're going to go with the internal guys and they're going to try to just get the best out of the staff that they currently have on basically under Joe judge, that sounds like the way that we're headed here. Then a guy like Jerry Szaplinski is a guy that we should be talking about a lot as the quarterback's coach because he was the quarterback's coach on Joe judge's staff with the giants. Right? So this is a guy that not only follows judge, but has also worked with the Patriots for years from 2013 to 2018. So if we're trying to predict where they're going to go from here, the moves to keep it in house, to keep it in the tight inner circle are to let judge essentially take on the offense with a guy like Jerry Szaplinski at quarterbacks coach. And then everybody else on the staff just moves up a peg, right? Billy Yates, your offensive line coach. Troy Brown is your wide receivers coach. Nick Caley obviously stays on at tight ends and that's, the direction the Patriots are in we're not sitting here and trying to sell to anybody that this is a great spot to be in it's right it, but I, this is not but this is the reality of the situation if they are not going to st- aggressively pursue a guy like Bill O'Brien who's really when you come down to it there's not a lot of other options to make a splash other than Billy O'Brien I, I right. can't even really think of anybody else that I go to I'd be like oh wow that would be a real great get like that would be a great hire to to run the offense to replace Josh McDaniels. They're probably better off. Like you said, hoping that a guy like Nick Kaley blossoms into that person. Right. right. And, and can be the 2005 version of Josh McDaniels here in 2021, 2022 that they're probably better off with something like that.
0: Yeah, no, I think what you just laid out. And again, is it a great situation? No, but given where we're at right now, and we just have to react to the reality in front of us, I think that's the best option. I think, you know, if you bring in Szaplinski and Falk, whatever, but, you know, kind of sticking with the group you have now, there are some interesting names in the chat. Uh, you know, again, I, I mentioned McCown. Somebody brought up McCown. That was a good one. Jason Garrett's a really interesting name too. I'm not oh, yeah. sure how I feel about that. I would have to think about it. No, Language you're a problem again. Air
1: Corel guy, right? Not, okay. a, not an EP guy. Slant flat. 900 times a game right like that that playbook the one good thing that the giants did last year was that they ran a decent amount of rpo and option for daniel jones they knew that daniel in order for them to have any semblance of an offense they were going to have to use daniel jones's athleticism as a strength he's not to say it not to be like that guy. He's sneaky athletic, right? He he can move yeah. around a little bit, he can run a little bit. They did adapt the playbook a little bit to include some more quarterback run elements into that package. But other than that, it's a very rudimentary scheme, like very basic, very bland, very vanilla it was, it's, it is exactly what you expect, right? It's the ironic part about it is, is the Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy, who's basically the same freaking thing, right? <laughs> they, right? They just yeah. have like slant flat, the slant flat, but at the same time, yeah. You know, guys like Jason Garrett, at least have some chops, right? They've been head coaches in the league. They have experience, right. but yeah, very bland vanilla type of scheme. What
0: do you, what do you think of McCown as a quarterback's coach? I think McCown needs a
1: job. Because he's not going to – he's eventually someday going to be a head coach, I would think, in the NFL. But he's got to pay his dues a little bit more than what he has, especially with the climate that we have today in the coaching hires. So he's going to have to be a quarterback's coach. He's going to have to be a play caller potentially down the road before he gets a job. So I don't hate the – optics of it i think there's a chance of that of working out for the patriots at least having somebody that has played the position i'm not sure how much different it is than just having brian hoyer in the building at, at that point but i guess it can't hurt to have two of those guys i would say when it comes to max development if they keep the playbook exactly the same and they keep the structure of the offense exactly the same i'm more concerned about who mac jones is working out with in the off season than who he's yeah. working with during the season Is he with Jordan Palmer? Is he with Quincy Avery? Is he with Tom House? Like, is he with these guys? Is he working out with quarterbacks, coaches, mechanics, coaches, guys that will maximize velocity and uh, fine tune his mechanics to get the most out of his, uh, his arm strength and those types of things? I think that they're going to keep it pretty much chalk for Mac in terms of what they're actually going to be running uh, when he gets in there next year. But the question is, is how much work is Mac gonna actually put into himself, into into his body, into his mechanics and the offseason? That that's, I think, a bigger question for me than who they're definitely you know, who they're going to have running quarterbacks, because I think they will bring in somebody that has some experience doing that.
0: Yeah, I just i I think that's the most that answer is the most important hire right now that they can make is who is that person regardless of what Mac does over the off season.
1: Yeah, I uh, Nick Haley, I Not that he's going to coach quarterbacks, but I think in terms of play caller, it, it's really looking like a guy like Nick Cayley has got the inside track to that. And there's some whispers that he's, you know, a, a much A very capable offensive mind. Somebody that might be able to be the guy that Patriots fans want. I know a lot of Patriots fans, as uh, David here in the chat, Uh, how many times did we hear this last season about Josh McDaniels, Alex, right? You know, the bold in third down runs and the the unsuccessful plays on early downs or the lack of aggressiveness on early downs. We heard what David's saying here all season long. The question is... Is Was at McDaniels? Was that actually as bad as the results were at times? Like, where do we fall in that line? And like we've said, they might not come out of this in a better spot. They, they, this might actually make them worse and potentially significantly worse if they don't put the right guys in order. So a lot to still work out with the coaching staff. I know we wanted to touch on the Super Bowl just a little bit. But uh, it's important to continue to monitor these things, and I'll continue to argue that Adam Gase isn't a total disaster of a hire if it does happen, and you guys can get all mad at me. But He might be
0: the worst NFL coach in the last 20 years. Head
1: Head coach. coach. Head coach, maybe. Maybe. All right. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Are you a the ref's job, the Bengals, and that's why they lost kind of guy, or are you somebody that's crediting the Rams and how they put this whole thing together?
0: Yeah, I, I can't do the refs thing. I can't. These people yeah, are I mean, saying this just... is, the, you know, the worst officiated. Go back and watch Super Bowl 40, right? Is it 40? The Seahawks-Steelers one. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where Ben Roethlisberger is very clearly down on the two-yard line and they call it a touchdown. Like, this was nothing. Also, they missed the call on Higgs, right, earlier in the game. Just It, it, it all evened out in the end. I really think it all evened out in the end. I So, I'll say this. A lot of people didn't like that game. I loved that game. I really enjoyed it because you got a little bit of everything. There was like, it was an offensive shootout for a little bit. You got some defense. Things got a little weird. I really genuinely enjoyed that game as a football game. I did. I'll say that. And I think, you know, what's the big takeaway and Evan, you're going to love this. Okay. And I think it's, it's, we've honestly gotten the same lesson from the last two Super Bowls. I just think this year it was a little more stark. You gotta have a quarterback, obviously. You gotta have a quarterback to get there, like a legitimate quarterback. Weapons are important. You need guys from to throw the ball to. Right. But if you don't have time to throw, none of that's gonna matter. And you saw it in that game because the Bengals, for all the skill position, talent they have, when Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and those guys pinned their ears back, didn't matter didn't matter at all what did Jamar Chase really do in the second half of that game couldn't do anything because Joe Burrow was constantly on his back so and I think to, to, to apply that locally two things first off let's give like a very belated extra shout out to the 2018 Patriots offensive line for what they did to Aaron Donald and Adamic and Sue because you compare the two games and it's night and day the other thing is this is why I think I'm more confident in the Patriots moving forward and I feel better about their rebuild than maybe some other people do because yeah, they don't have the weapons yet. They probably have the quarterback. They don't have the weapons, but the thing is some of these teams that have the weapons people saying, Oh, they're so far behind the Bengals. Well, the Bengals now need to build an offensive line. They don't really have any semblance of an offensive line. And I would argue it's harder and you can push back on this if you want. It's harder to build the line than it is to get the weapons. So the Patriots have two of three boxes checked. The Bengals have two of three boxes checked. The quarterback box is certainly checked more emphatically. But we'll see what Mac Jones looks like in year two. Patriots need the weapons. The Bengals need the line. Which group would you rather have to build? So that that's my big takeaway from that game.
1: So because I'm a sicko, I watched that game and I said – Look at how – like when's the first Patriots – if you're drafting the three teams, right, right and you take the Rams receivers, the Bengals receivers, and the Patriots receivers, how many Bengals and Rams receivers do you draft before you get to the first Patriot receiver? Six? At least least four or five. Right, because you have Odell, you have Cooper Cup, you have Higgins, you have
0: Boyd, you have Chase, obviously, right? So at least five, I would say. I I think you could make an argument – between Boyd and maybe Jacoby Myers, Boyd's a good player. He did not play a great game. He did not he had, play a great game. Bad,
1: he he had that bad drop right on third down. Right. I would like I to see know. what
0: Boyd looks like without Higgins and and Chase drawing coverage. Is kind of my point.
1: Fair enough. I would. Well, Boyd actually had a thousand yard receiving receiving season. Wow. I can't talk today. A uh, few years ago, without those two guys. So. And he's where Jacoby had like,
0: what, 980 last yeah. year? Yeah, so. something like 900, something like that. He, I, I, I'd probably take Boyd, but I think he, there's a conversation to be had there. Right, but, okay,
1: so, so maybe at least four. Four, at least four, if not five. I think Van Jefferson's in the conversation in terms of next guys after the top four, top five guys, okay. right? So I don't know if he's necessarily better than Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, but he's in there. Right, He's in the ballpark. You have to have him in the conversation. That is the thing that stood out the most. And I think this is the second consecutive Super Bowl because you go back to that Chiefs-Bucks Super Bowl a year ago where you can say the same thing. How many Bucks and Chiefs-wide receivers are you taking before you get to a Patriot receiver in a draft? That is the number one thing that stood out to me because the number two thing that stood out to me was coaching, honestly. Offensive line, too. But in a lot of ways, I think those two things go hand in hand. I've watched some of the Bengals offense all 22 over the last couple of days. I got to tell you that Zach Taylor offense, their passing system has no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. Like they're not. I don't even know what Like they get so much because Chase and Higgins and those guys are just so darn good. They honestly transcend the scheme in a lot of ways. It's just raw talent it's just raw talent exactly right. that, that scheme makes no sense to me like the one thing that i think you talk about with passing concepts is you always want to be putting guys in conflict especially the safeties right so the safeties can help over the top to one guy or they can stay in the hole on the other guy but they can't be in both places and somebody's gonna get beat somewhere that offense doesn't put anybody in conflict like there's no conflict I don't even know what route combinations they're running. A lot of the times when I watch an offense, even a, a offense as sophisticated as the Patriots or the Rams or the 49ers, I can say smash concept, right? Haas, right? Like right. you can call it out. You can see, oh, it's corner flat, it's this, it's that. With the with the Bengals, it's like playground. It's just people running up the field and trying to make something happen. They're just lucky in a lot of ways that guys like Jamar Chase are so darn good that it doesn't necessarily matter. So when I look at the offensive line, I also look at, okay, well, how do you leave Quentin Spain one-on-one with Aaron Donald on the most important play of the game? So as bad as the Bengals' offensive line might be talent-wise, a lot of these things, if their passing system put – Defenders in conflict actually ran actual route combinations that I can explain or put some rhyme or reason to if their coaching was better in terms of their protection schemes, and they're not running five wide empty five man protections and asking Quentin Spain to Brock Aaron Donald on the uh, fourth in the Super Bowl, then maybe... I could have some justification there with the way that they ran things. So ultimately, I, I looked at this game and I said, Zach Taylor versus Sean McVay was a huge, huge mismatch. And, and that's a big one, too, for me. I think that also kind of you know, speaks to the offensive line as well, the Bengals. But I can't do the refs thing either. Uh, It it just drives me crazy, and I know you hate the math, Alex, but I pulled up the win probability chart for you, and uh, they do a really nice job at uh, rbsdm.com. you got to be careful how you say that one. Uh, They do a really nice job of putting the top 10 plays of win probability in a chart for you, right? Just the top 10 plays that affected the game most. The Logan Wilson hold is not on the top 10. It's the 13th or 14th most important play in the game right and i get the timing of it was bad i, I get that uh, people are frustrated that it played a role in the way the game ended i know a lot of people are caught up on the bangle uh, excuse me the rams offensive line false starting and, and i'm not calling that either but ultimately there were 10 12 13 plays that stacked up that were more important in those in the sequence of the game than the Logan Wilson hold, Right. So yeah. I, I have a really tough time uh, getting all worked up about the referees. I do think the league to kind of segue this forward, the league does have a problem with consistency with the referees, right? Like I, I do think that they need to be more consistent week in and week out with the calls, a lot of it's judgment. And if Logan Wilson's got his arm wrapped around a Cooper cup, one ref might call it a hold. One ref might let it go. It's a tough line to walk. Do you think the league, though, overall has a officiating problem? Like, are you one of those people that's ready to to truly call this a big issue? Yeah,
0: I felt that way for years. I don't think, you know, it's funny to me with the officials. Through the first three quarters of that game, everybody, you know, on Twitter and the people I'm watching with, the officials are staying out of it. I can't believe this. This is great. And then the officials insert themselves and everybody's like, I can't believe this happened. When you're spending the first 45 minutes shocked that it's not happening. I want to go back to the coaching you talked about there real quick. Yeah. Yeah, Zach Taylor had a rough game. Um, On top of that, can we stop pretending that um, McVeigh is some kind of innovator, some kind of new age, whatever it is. He didn't coach great. He did not have a great game plan. And look, losing Beckham certainly hurt. Yeah. But I just think overall, I, I think overall, he was not great in that game. That is the he, he the play calling really until that last drive was incredibly uninspired. And again, I know they lost Beckham, but if McVeigh is this otherworldly coach, if he's supposedly the best coach in the league, which is what some people want you to believe, then he would, with all that offensive talent, he would be able to overcome losing Odell Beckham instead of just constantly running the ball up the middle for a yard and a half on every play. So. Ultimately, he got the ring. He did. I'm not crowning. I I said this after the Super Bowl in '18. I'm not crowning Sean McVay. I'm not crowning Sean McVay. I still don't see what all of you people who are trying to convince me that he's special see. He had that one. He had that one good year. I I don't know if everybody figured it out.
1: I don't know if he's necessarily the most special play caller that has ever walked this earth. Like I, I think a guy like Andy Reid's a better play caller than Sean McVay is, but. In terms of the structure of the way that they build their passing system in particular, and then marry their passing system to their play action runs and their base runs, they have a very sound scheme. It's very cool. complementary, and it's very difficult to defend because they have a lot of answers to things, right? Like when you do one thing, we have something else on the backside of this that we're going to be able to go to, or we know that your safety, I think one of the best things that he does is he game plans compliments into his offense. Right. So he knows like it, your safety is going to do this, right. Where your safety is going to rotate in the box and play robber. So we're going to high low him. Right, we know we know what you're going to do with your defense. We know how you're going to rotate from two high to single high. We're going to high low him. Matthew Stafford's going to no look pass it to Cooper Cup and hit a big play. Right, those are the types of things that I think that he does. That when you get into the nitty gritty details of exactly how to call an offense and how to run an offense, Sean McVay is one of the best at it. He is extremely good at putting defenses in binds, putting them in. I was talking about Zach Taylor, not putting guys in conflict. Sean McVay is Mr. Conflict. Like guys have all sorts of run pass conflict, misdirection conflict, high, low, or, you know, horizontal stretch conflict. Like those are the differences between a guy like McVay and Zach Taylor is that his scheme makes sense. His scheme is terrific at adjusting at game planning at stressing defense. And and maybe that doesn't come up in every play call or every game plan or whatever, but from a week in to week out perspective, it's really, really good
0: stuff. Look, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. Okay. He's a good coach. He's one of the better coaches in the league, but the people who, what is he now four years in five years in, are trying to tell me that he's already reached Andy Reid's level, Sean Payton's level, that he's one of the greatest offensive minds of all time, one of the greatest coaches of all time, the people who even before he got this ring were saying that he was the modern Belichick. I still don't see what those people see. He's a good offensive mind. He introduced some new things that were unstoppable for a year until Belichick figured them out, and then everybody copied it. I don't, good coach. But then he's, good coach. But then he's a, Top
1: half of the league. But then he's adapted. I think that's the other thing with him that you're not giving enough credit. Like he's adapted. Turned, yes. So they have turned into saying. like they've they've turned into a lot of empty. Right. They ran a lot of empty in the Super Bowl. When right. I mean, they paid the Patriots in 2019. They were heavy condensed all the time. Right. And i say they're not really heavy. They were three wide receiver, but they were condensed all the time. They still run condensed. They still ran plenty of that in the Super Bowl. But then when it wasn't working, last drive of the game, they they clear it out, right? And and they go more spread. That wasn't necessarily something they did in 2018. I I, I agree with you. I don't think that he is Andy Reid yet. I don't think that he should even be talked about in Bill Belichick's. That that's what I'm saying. The people who, who want to already Gruden, put him in the Hall of John Fame, John Gruden, I think has been a really good comparison for him. I'm not talking about the John Gruden we know now, right? Talking right. about the John Gruden with the Raiders and the Bucks. Now let's see, like John Gruden, he, he got almost, he won one and then kind of, you know, faltered, right? Just like Sean McVay right.
0: did. But let's see what Sean McVay does now. That Yeah, that, that's all I'm saying. The people who are already putting Sean McVay in Canton, relax, relax. Like, he, good coach, good yeah. coach. I You know, I think most teams in the league would would be happy if they hired Sean McVay as their coach. He's not a generational coaching talent. He He's not even close yet like that's, that's the talk we need to push back on a little bit.
1: Fair enough. I, I think that he's for somebody that loves to watch offense and, and loves to break down the scheme of offenses yeah. and things yeah. like that. He's one of the funner
0: tape studies in the Let NFL. Let me ask you this. What? So the, the guy you described, so, you know, in terms of play calling, in terms of sequencing and play designing, he's brilliant. Yeah. The play calling's inconsistent. Would you say that's an accurate description of Sean McVay? Sure. I. Yeah, okay. I think I mean, in some games he's hot, some games he's not. I think that's Perfect. true for pretty much every play Perfect. Caller. So excellent play designer, excellent at sequencing plays together. The play calling is hit or miss. What's the difference between Sean McVay and, and Josh McDaniels then?
1: Not much, honestly. Like I, talking, I think you that, there, there you go. No, always, yeah. That's why I've always been so high on Josh, though, right? Is because right. he's he's got it does a great job of doing If you talk to people that game plan against Josh McDaniels offense or Sean McVay offense, what they constantly do is they take the guy with the most run pass responsibility on the defense. Who's the guy that has the most on their plate? And they put that guy in a blender for four quarters, right? They make sure that that guy has to think through every key, every read, every adjustment, all of it. And those types of coaches are – that's thats coaching. Like, that's what it's all about. You can go out there and you can roll out Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon and put up points with Joe Burrow as your quarterback because your offense is so darn talented like Zach Taylor did all season, or you can coach, right? And, and right. a guy like Sean McVay coaches. A guy like Kyle Shanahan for all of his flaws coaches. Josh McDaniels coaches. Is it always perfect? No, it's not always perfect. But there's always – a rhyme, a reason, an understanding of what everybody's supposed to be doing and an explanation from a football sense of this is why they ran that play. This is why they, they're running this play. This is what they're trying to do here. That Those are the types of guys that I always look at and say – you know, I, I want that for the Patriots. McDaniels was one of them. They, he he yeah. walked out the door, unfortunately. And that's, what I think, why, to bring it all back to the Patriots, we're also worried about this offensive coordinator situation, is because for all of his flaws, for all of his Brandon Boldens and screen passes on second and 20 and all these types of things, we could watch Josh McDaniels' offense on Sundays from a schematic perspective, maybe not a game plan or a situational perspective, but from a schematic perspective and see an NFL offense, like see what we want to see in terms of uh, what they were doing as a group. We don't know that. Now we are in uncertainty land, right? Now Now we right. don't know if that's going to come through the door. So it'll be really interesting to see. I, I like Sean McVay. I'm not as, I, I don't think he's the second coming. I don't think that he's in the Hall of
0: Fame. I, I don't think Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer either, to be honest with you. Uh, but a whole I, I still think he can be, I still think Stafford could be, he's not, if you're retired right now, he's not, but you know, I, I was talking to my brother about this. He actually, I thought I made a pretty good comparison in Brett Favre and you know, if St- so it's stat So how old Stafford 34, I think, right? 35, yeah. something like that. So yeah, right now he's probably not. And there have been other quarterbacks who were definitive hall of famers at 34, 35, Stafford plays another six to eight years like this, like Favre did, then, then yeah, I think the longevity becomes enough where you overlook some of the rough years and it's just impressive how long he played at a high level. So that's right. been an interesting conversation. Stafford, if you retired today, not a Hall of Famer by any sense, but I don't think the door's shut where he can never be one either.
1: So last thing here on the Super Bowl, I'm going to wrap it up. The other conversation that I find really fascinating is everybody that Has expected that Joe Burrow is just going to make it back to another Super Bowl. You know, the odds are very much stacked against him, right? That he's going to make it back to another one, especially when you lose the first one. I think the automatic assumption is young quarterback, really good player. Assumption is that he's going to make it back. Aaron Rodgers still hasn't made it back. Drew Brees only made it to one Super Bowl. Russell Wilson goes to two back-to-back, still ha- hasn't gotten back there since, right? I mean, we can go right down the line. Kevin, I'm
0: old enough to remember when Jared Goff was going back.
1: Right. I mean, there were guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who are generational all-time greats, right. that did not make it back. John Elway made it back. But now we're talking about top five quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterbacks of all time, right? I, I, we're not there yet. With a guy like Joe Burrow, if I was a Bengals fan, and if you are a Bengals fan, shout out Trags, this is not necessarily a guarantee that you're ever going to make it back to this point. And if you're Cincinnati, you have a lot of work to do that you need to think about from a roster building perspective. Yep. Because if you just stay complacent and think, oh, "Well, we were so close this year; let's just run it back and we'll get the ring next year," it doesn't work like that in the NFL.
0: No, even Mahomes, right? Mahomes, yeah. they were saying, oh, Mahomes is going to win six in his first eight years. He right. got back one more time, lost, and now he and the, the, then this year he didn't get back. The other thing you talk about work you have to do, Joe Burrow's not going to get back if he can't stay healthy. You right. Protect him. You got to figure it out like I I'm still waiting for the report that he played the fourth quarter of that game on a torn ACL. That's yeah, what it they said like, it was right. No they said there is no they, no serious damage. Yeah, I it, but it easily could have been right. It easily right. could have been. You've got to make. You've got to protect him long term. They need to invest heavily. I saw Doug Kai did for PFF. I actually got a good laugh out of it. Did a full offensive line mock draft for the Bengals, and it yeah, they kind of do need to do. Yeah, they might need some new corners too. But right. It's it's not a guarantee you get back, and the A the AFC is stacked as we've talked about. The AFC is loaded, yeah. it's not that simple. And look, will Joe Burr? Am I saying Joe Burr will never make another Super Bowl? No, he's incredibly talented, and assuming they keep him healthy, he should be able to play for eight to ten years at least. But right, yeah, and I mean Andrew Luck's a good comp. Andrew Luck obviously never got there, but he, he, never, really, right. like, he never really got to be the player he was supposed to be. Because he was wasn't protected, I think with the Bengals specifically, that conversation of going back with Burrow is so interesting because they got to keep him healthy. They've got to keep him healthy.
1: It's a really interesting conversation because that's always the narrative that comes out after a young quarterback right. like Burrow loses the Super Bowl. He'll be back. Don't worry about it. It's year two. They got a long runway with this guy, and more times than not, actually the vast majority of the time, they never make it back. That, right. that was their one chance and they never make it back. Joe Burrow could buck that trend, but we'll see. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, what the Bengals do, if they can continue this, if this was just a Cinderella run or, or what the case may be. But the Patriots, all sorts of changes going on in, uh, in Foxborough right now. Macro, so as we mentioned the, at the very top of the show, we talked about Grow. We talked about his background. If you want to go back And listen to that and get a little bit perspective on the Patriots new director of player personnel, the Patriots offensive coaching staff still in absolute shambles. Uh, Alex and I will continue to monitor it, continue to talk about it here on the Patriots beat podcast. We'll be back on Thursday. We were going to do a mock draft. We might be a little bit too soon for a mock draft. Unfortunately, we looked into some of the simulators. We don't know the full draft order yet. It's
0: not as easy as we thought it was going to be. PFF's also missing half the players, not just punters, like wide receivers. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so we might have to go with another Q&A on Thursday, but we'll definitely do a show on Thursday. We'll talk more about all these types of things. So we'll see you guys then. Thanks so much for listening. For Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you Thursday.